Please note, nothing in this podcast is or may be construed as medical advice of any kind. As explained in the medical disclaimer section of One Hit Away Foundation's website, which can be found at www.onehitaway.org, we are not doctors, therapists, or healthcare providers. We act only as a source of information that you may choose to use in seeking actual healthcare services from licensed healthcare providers. Enjoy the following One Hit Away podcast. Hello, and welcome to One Hit Away Foundation podcast series. Today's series, series is titled Helping the Brain Heal with Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy. And I can't wait to introduce to our audience our special guest speaker. But before I do that, I want to introduce myself for a moment. My name is Darren Baca, the co-founder of One Hit Away Foundation, which is the only nonprofit organization in the country that is dedicated to brain healing and brain health and sports-related concussions. And I might also add sub-concussions. If you are interested in learning more about brain healing treatments for sports-related concussions, this is the right place and time, and uh, we thank you for your genuine interest in tuning in today. Also, if sports has been or is part of your life, then you know that everyone is just one hit away from a sports-related concussion. Yep, that invisible injury, we have to take care of it. So today, helping the brain heal with hyperbaric oxygen. Today, we'll be having a great discussion with Dr. Scott Scher about one of the most beneficial brain healing treatments of sports-related concussions, and I might add it's a secret so there's too many out there, which is the power of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or as some call it, HBOT. Welcome, Dr. Scher. Thank you for having me, Dan. I'd like to, before I get into our discussion, is to properly introduce you. Uh, Dr. Sure. Scott Scher is a board-certified internal medicine physician with additional certification in hyper, hyperbaric oxygen medicine, HBOT, graduated summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from UCLA with a BA in history and BS in psychobiology. He then attended University of Maryland Medical School and a residency program where he graduated magna cum laude from the former with alpha omega omega distinction. Dr. Scher practices as an integrative hyperbaric oxygen therapy physician in San Francisco Bay Area and specializes in the use of HBOT for traumatic brain injuries. He has lectured on this topic both locally and nationally. And a full disclosure, Dr. Scher is also a member of One Hit Away Advisory Council. We're very privileged to have had that happen. A proud member of the <laughs> advisory committee. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, let me kind of set this up for our audience. You know, I'm astounded that this three-pound three brain uh, uses, just sitting here talking to you today, 15% of the body's blood, 20% of the body's oxygen, and 25% of the body's daily caloric intake, just sitting here. And these percentages, as you so well know, mm -hmm. increase dramatically as a result to an immediate inflammatory or metabolic response from a concussion. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just amazing to think about how much more oxygen it probably needs during that time of inflammatory type scenarios, right? Yeah, and the challenge is that the body can't really do it on its own. It doesn't have the ability to really increase the amount of oxygen it can get to its brain because it's already working at maximal capacity. We have this funny notion, I think it comes from movies, that we're only using 5% of our brain. And it may be true that we're only using a certain capacity of our neurologic function, but the blood flow to your brain is actually at maximal capacity. Man. So you already have maximal capacity going there. The only way to increase it actually is with exercise, a little bit, because you're increasing cardiac output, how much your heart is pumping and getting more blood to the brain to help you function while you're doing athletic events. But other than that, it's very difficult to increase the amount of oxygen to your brain. And so, for example, if you injure your knee or your toe, we can 
make an inflammatory response. You can get increased blood flow to the area. You can help it heal. But with the brain, it's really much, a lot more difficult to do. Hmm. Fascinating. You know, I, I, I was in our, in our business, obviously, and the ability to service many out there. People don't realize there's 100, approximately 100 billion cells in our brain. And they're all fueled by what I call the ever-ready battery called the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though the mitochondria kind of gets clogged into a, uh, uh, you know, an inflammatory bruised scenario where it can't produce the powerhouse it needs for the brain mm -hmm. cells. Is that accurate? Well, I think it's part of the deregulation or just the destruction of the cell architecture when you have a traumatic brain injury. What's happening is the entire scaffolding of the tissue, the connective tissue, the stem cells in the tissue, along with the neurologic cells themselves, the neurons, the, the supporting cells, the glial cells, they're all getting stretched, they're all getting sheared, and as a result of that, they start leaking, they start not being able to really uh, continue their, uh, their ability to uh, keep electric gradients, for example. Hmm. So the mitochondria is really, unfortunately, the sort of end process of those processes that are happening on the macro level. On the micro level, the mitochondria are getting damaged as a result of that. And the mitochondria, what, like you said, are the batteries of our cell. They make energy at the cellular level. And when you have energy deregulation, the cell then starts deteriorating and maybe even will start killing itself on purpose because it doesn't want to become a cancer cell, a cell that's rogue. Hmm. So when the mitochondria starts getting dysfunctional, the cell tends to shut down or kill itself. And so there's only a certain amount of time that you have without oxygen that you can stay alive. And that's because your mitochondria need oxygen to make energy, energy called ATP at the cellular right, level. Right. And that's really what we're doing in the chambers, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But the idea is that you need energy to survive. The energy that is made is ATP at the cellular level. That is made from the batteries of your cells, your mitochondria. The mitochondria have a very significant interplay with the DNA as well. And it's not just the mitochondria, this one organelle in the cell that just kind of works on its own. It's probably this ancient bacteria that was co-opted by anaerobic cells or cells that did not use oxygen millions and millions of years ago because there was a symbiotic relationship between the two. And as a result of that, mitochondria have their own DNA that can get damaged. And that DNA damage can also manifest damage on the actual DNA of the cell. Hmm. And that actually could deregulate how the cell works and actually can change epigenetics on the DNA itself. And when that happens, so epigenetics is the ability of the DNA to express certain things like proteins and, and make nutrients and make other factors. So the whole thing just gets screwed up, basically. <laughs> okay. And then as a result Got of it. that, there's a complete deterioration in cell architecture mm. and cell structure and, mm. and, and the scaffolding of the tissue. And that's what we see in injury. Let, let me, so I, so hope, those of you who are listening to this while you're driving, you may want, not, not want to do this as a fun experiment, but <laughs> let me share something with you if you're sitting down on the couch. Just hold your breath for a minute and a half or two minutes and see how your brain feels after that once you let loose and start taking in more oxygen. <laughs> That's kind of the big picture of what well, the mitochondria breathe. is doing, right? When they get we have to breathe, man. destructive yeah. of oxygen. So, yeah, so yeah. here we are with the oxygen expert. Tell our audience what an integrative hyperbaric oxygen therapy physician is and how your practice differs from non-integrative sure. physicians out there. Yeah, like we were talking about before we came on, Darren, the word integrative is, let's call it, uh, bastardized over the years because what does it mean right I mean when I first started using it five years ago it was relatively new uh, but since then you have integrated programs at Hopkins and at UCSF and at other hospitals and those are all 
integrative in some ways, they integrate certain therapies together. What I really consider of an integrative therapy on my end, or integrative practice, is combining both alternative means, uh, conventional means, together in a practice that manifests in hopefully a, a clinical outcome for my patients that's superior to both when they're not done together. And so for me, as a hyperbaric physician, I learned about hyperbaric medicine when I was in medical school. I actually grew up very alternatively. My father's a chiropractor. I didn't know really what the box was. I was very out of the box. Because wait, wait, I, I got to interrupt you. I had no choice. Was that an elective to get an HBOT kind of uh, introduction in when you were in medicine school? Or was that a, a mandatory course? Well, I think what happened for me is that it was, uh, it was by happenstance, you know, synchronicities as they happen. Yeah. I was in a trauma center. Huh. And the trauma center that I was working at had a hyperbaric chamber in the basement. And so they were putting people in that had carbon monoxide poisoning mm -hmm. uh, with necrotizing fasciitis, which is flesh-eating bacteria. And when I found out how simple the technology was, that it was just oxygen and pressure in, in combination, and it was causing these significant benefits in these terrible conditions. Mm -hmm. Like I saw somebody that was intubated on a respirator going into the chamber and then walk out mm -hmm. completely cognizant. And then when I talked to the technicians and the docs, they just said it was the combination of those two things. And so. Like I was alluding to, I grew up very alternatively. I went to medical school thinking I could bring these things together, alternative and conventional practice, into one beautiful, uh, change the world, 21-year-old vision. And I was, in medical school, you lose focus of that, of Got course, it, yeah. because you're just in the weeds. And But eventually, after I, I learned about hyperbaric medicine and a couple of years later doing some more research and realizing that this really could be a very significant synergizer, accelerator, of healing from the inside out of all wounds, no matter where they were. I did research looking at uh, research in Israel, research in Europe, research in the United States, on traumatic brain injury, on other injuries, chronic conditions, complex medical care. I realized that it really would benefit from having an integrative mindset where hyperbaric therapy was a focus, was the tool that synergized, accelerated healing, but at the same time, but putting in a larger context. What's your foundation? What other practices and technologies and practitioners that were you, you were sort of bringing into this milieu or this this ecosystem that you could work together uh, in combination to help patients and really be optimal for their well-being and their and their recovery? Fabulous. So the the big question out there is to our audience: What does a hyperbaric chamber, oxygen chamber, do? And what kind of types are out there? And, and can anyone really literally use them? And how long have they been available to humans for a healing agent? Mm. So hyperbaric medicine has been around in some shape or form since about 1700, wow. actually, when they used to take an enclosed room and a you know, <laughs> completely sealed room, put an organ bellow on it and either suck air out of it or pump air into it. So it was a hyperbaric air environment or hypobaric, H-Y-P-O. Mm. And so there was no real medical research that had been done to actually say it, it did this or it did that. But for many years, for about about 200 years, really, it was just used uh, for various things that people thought it was good for. So it got this reputation of being kind of like a snake oil type of medicine because everybody was put in these chambers, either a hypo or hyperbaric, and they were using it in surgery suites before they really understood what it meant. Or and But it was also being used because they knew if that you pumped air into an environment that was underwater, like building a bridge, for example, you could keep that 
area open and that area would be a place where workers could work and dig out the under underneath the bedrock for a bridge mm -hmm. and that's really when the bends came came about mm -hmm. as something that was described people like being underneath the water coming up too fast getting these really bad seizure paralysis neurologic symptoms what they also realized though is if, it, if those people didn't die if they got them back into the chambers their symptoms went away so that's when they developed hyperbaric chambers to actually treat people that had the bends or diving injury um, or were underneath the, the surface of the water working on a bridge or something like that. And then it was over the last 100 years or so, but really over, since 1950 or so, where hyperbaric medicine really became a medical therapy um, outside of just the bends. It was starting to really understood what's happening inside the chamber, which is another question you asked me, really, and I was alluding to this. It's just a combination of two things that's happening in the chamber. You're increasing the atmospheric pressure and you're increasing the inspired amount of oxygen that you're breathing. So as far as pressure goes, we're right now here in California, we're at zero feet of seawater. Mm -hmm. We're at sea level. Mm -hmm. If you travel down to 25, 33 feet of seawater, all the water above you is exerting a pressure. Mm -hmm. Water is heavy. Right. Pick up a bucket of water, it's heavy. But if you're swimming in it, you don't feel that pressure, but that pressure is still having a physiologic effect. And so we're simulating that pressure in the chamber. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we're doing is increasing the amount of oxygen that you breathe. At sea level, we have 21% oxygen right. in the air that we breathe. Right. In a hyperbaric chamber, you can just have 21% oxygen, but you can increase it to 100% oxygen, which is what we do in some of the medical grade chambers. Right. And when you do that, you increase the amount of oxygen that you can drive into the body, into the bloodstream. Typically, oxygen is carried with the red blood cells. Oxygen carrying capacity is all dependent on red blood cells typically. So if you have people that are bikers, uh, people like Lance Armstrong, for example, that are doing illegal things, they increase the amount of red blood cells in circulation because that allows them to carry more oxygen. Uh, yeah. But we're not doing that in the chamber. No. We're actually saturating the plasma of the blood. Wow. So the plasma doesn't have almost any oxygen in it at baseline, at sea level, but we can actually get about 1,200% more oxygen into the body because we can actually use that capacity that's in the plasma, the liquid of our blood, by the way, the liquid is the plasma, right. um, to actually increase the amount of oxygen that gets in there. So what does that do? Acutely, you can reoxygenate tissue that may be at risk for dying. Mm -hmm. So it's, you probably heard, we always talk about this in medicine, time is brain, time is heart. If you've had a stroke, you need to get to the hospital immediately so you can get a clot buster. If you've had a heart attack, same deal. If you have a heart attack, you have a clot in your heart or a blockage that needs to be opened. The sooner that blockage gets opened, the more oxygen, well, the more tissue that was behind that blockage does not die. So we're looking at hyperbaric medicine as a potential way to reverse that acute hypoxia, that acute oxygen loss by reoxygenating tissues. Once you get oxygen saturated in the plasma to 1200% more, now you can diffuse oxygen instead of about four times further outside of a blood vessel, sorry, about 126 microns outside of a, a blood vessel typically, <laughs> and you can increase that four times more in a chamber. So if you think about that, wow. four times more wow. micron depth is actually a huge amount of tissue in the brain, for example. Yeah. So we're using hyperbaric therapy in acute traumatic brain injury and mm -hmm. acute stroke and acute trauma. Um, and the third one, acute trauma, is actually covered by medical insurance, by the way. So, and you asked me the different types of chambers. So. I don't want to forget that. So there's, yeah, that's great. there's hard chambers and there's soft chambers. Right. Okay. Hard chambers, there's two different varieties. There's a multi-place chamber. Multi-place chambers go to very deep depths of seawater equivalent because they're there to treat saturation divers, those that are building tunnels under the ground. Uh, they're working on oil rigs, for example. Hmm. They're 
uh, monoplace chambers. Those are typically found in clinics, sometimes in the hospital, but also outside of the hospital. Mm -hmm. They go to about 66 feet of seawater, which we call three ATA or three atmospheres right, right, absolute. Right. And you have soft chambers or mild hyperbaric chambers. Mm -hmm. And those go to about 1.3 right. atmospheres, which is the equivalent of about 23 feet of seawater. And so each of the chambers have their own indications. Right. And uh, they can be used in various ways depending on those indications. Great. I got, a, I got a side note. I was reading that in the 1970s or 60s that they used to have hyperbaric rooms to have heart surgeries in. Before the bypass machine. Right. It was, that was back in the 1950s. Yeah. Why not, right? It's the right. best thing out there. Yeah, and we actually know from some recent studies that if you put somebody in a chamber before they go on bypass, right. they have less neurologic dysfunction wow. afterwards. And this, this, that's why we're so excited about as one of the modalities that we use for brain healing. Right. It's so functionally accepted by the body and it's just non-evasive. It's so healthy. Right. It's, it's a natural, we need oxygen. We're just increasing God, the amount it's of incredible. it. incredible. Um, yeah. Tell our tell our listeners the three or four reasons HBOT is, you know, you repeated this a little bit, but the three or four reasons HBOT is really a good healing enhancer for TBI. Mm. What does it do for the brain? The three or four things that these these listeners should not walk away from. These are the three sure. things. Sure. What I often say, and maybe I've said this to you, Darren, is hyperbaric therapy heals wounds, Got it. no matter where they are, mm -hmm. from the inside out, and it does it really in four ways. And these ways are both acute uh, in the sense of acutely what they do and sort of the chronic long-term benefits of what they can do. So the first one is it, uh, it decreases inflammation. Mm -hmm. And it does it immediately. And it does it over time by changing how the DNA expresses and suppresses proteins that regulate inflammation. The second thing it does, or maybe the first really, is reverse hypoxia. It reverses low oxygen states. So it does that immediately by all that extra oxygen that's in circulation. And over the long term, it increases the amount of blood vessels that are forming in areas of injury to help that tissue maintain its health over the it long term. It creates new blood vessels. It creates new blood vessels. Wow. Angiogenesis is one of the main ways hyperbaric therapy works. So when you have tissue injury, you're injuring the entire scaffolding of that tissue, right. including, mm -hmm. the, including the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. Now, so the first one, Reversing hypoxia, mm -hmm. decreasing inflammation. The third one is, is releasing stem cells. So stem cells are the cells in our body that allow, uh, that can make any new cell in the body no matter what that system would be. So if it's a new, a stem cell can go to the liver and make a liver cell. If it's in the brain, it can go make a new brain cell. In fact, we have neurologic stem cells. And some of the research that's been done in the last five years has shown that hyperbaric therapy increases the number of stem cells released from neurologic tissue um, and hones to the area of injury. We know that stem cells do this. Stem cells are, that's what they do. They hone to areas of injury. So reverse hypoxia, decrease inflammation, re release stem cells. And the stem cells are happening both acutely and over the long term of a hyperbaric program. The more hyperbaric therapy you do to a certain amount, the more stem cells are released but it happens pretty exponentially almost right away. The fourth thing that hyperbaric oxygen therapy do is it kills bugs. So it kills bacteria, fungus, and virus that do not like high oxygen environments. And so that's very important, but it's also important to know what kind of infections and what kind of chamber treatments and depths that you wanna do depending on the infection. Correct, got that. Yeah. And um, the last thing really, what, what hyperbaric oxygen therapy really does is regenerate and revitalize, which is sort of a, a, a uh, it's it's the summation of the first four, 
right? In the sense of decreasing inflammation, reversing hypoxia, um, increasing stem cells, and then decreasing, and then killing bugs. So from a brain's perspective, all of those ring true. When you have a brain injury, you need to reverse hypoxia. When you have a brain injury, you need to decrease inflammation. When you have a brain injury, you need more stem cells mm -hmm. to get to the area to heal. So that's really what's happening. Now, from a hyperbaric perspective, when we're talking about infection, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a more nuanced answer. Depending on the type of treatment, the type, the type of chamber, I should say, um, hyperbaric therapy, so the soft chambers, for example, going to 1.3, they're not the best chambers for infection. Right. They're, they're good potentially for the blood vessel growth, for stem cell growth, and for decreasing inflammation, mm -hmm. but they're not good for infection. Right. So if you have an ongoing infection, I don't recommend the soft chambers, sure. but, uh, but they can be used effectively uh, for the other three pillars of what we're doing in the chamber. Save that thought. This sounds like simplistic in the simplistic fashion, kind of like the modernization of the fountain of youth here. I mean, this is just, it's, and it's just oxygen, it's just fascinating. Well, I have to say this it's a great therapy. Yeah. It's a synergizer, it's accelerator. It's, it's truly something that can be used on its own in an acute setting. Right. So if you have an acute injury, you should just get in the chamber because you're going to re oxygenate, right. right? If you have. A chronic long-term injury, though, mm -hmm. it's not as simple as just getting into the chamber, mm -hmm. okay? And I have to be very clear about this. I don't always recommend hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I, there's very specific times when it's appropriate, and there's very specific times when it may be not appropriate, at least not right away. And I think the key for that, Darren, is that you need to have a holistic, integrative mindset as to what we're doing. And that's what One Hit Away is about. That's what I'm about, is that it's not just about the hyperbaric therapy, it's about looking at that foundation. How are your cells working? Can you make energy? Right. Can you actually harness the power of your cellular energy to make it and to have those changes happen on the macro, not even, let alone the micro level, Absolutely. right? That's so if you don't look at the whole picture, it's not going to solve the issue, most likely, at so least true. not as much as it should. So true. Or it could. Can't agree with you more. Um, the uh, what is the side effect? Anything particular for people to go into a? Well, obviously, a, a person like yourself gives them a prescription right. to go into a chamber, and any specific side effect that they should be concerned with after a subscription, a prescription like that. So, just on the prescription side, yeah, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a prescribed mm -hmm. medicine because mm -hmm. when you pressurize oxygen, it's considered. A medicine so mm -hmm. hyperbaric therapy should be prescribed by a physician or, or another type of healthcare practitioner that's licensed to prescribe right. hyperbaric medicine right. and that's important because of what you're talking about there are potential side effects they're very minimal uh, but they are present and it's important to screen people for what those could be right. depending on the type of chamber the deeper the chamber the more potential side effects there could be but it's also important to, to put it all in context for the person, right? So for me, I often tell patients, and I've been on podcasts before, I don't recommend going buying a, a, a chamber on eBay or on wherever you can find them now and just getting in and just using it. Because mm -hmm. I've seen it used, I can't imagine, it's amazing what people will do with these mm -hmm. things without any knowledge. They just get in them and stay there for eight hours or mm -hmm. something like that. And don't know that you only can use them intermittently. They're not supposed to be used for more than maybe two hours in a day, and then they have to be done on protocols, which we can talk about. But from a side effect perspective, and that plays into why the protocol should be the way they are, the, the biggest side effect that people have is that when you're on a plane or a train, you get the popping sensation in your ears when you change pressure, you change altitude. The same thing happens in a hyperbaric okay. chamber. Right. So you have to be able to decompress your right. ears. For the most part, 
all the chambers have the same issue, but as you go deeper, it can be a little more challenging. Sure. But even for most people, going deep is not very difficult. Sure. And so the worst thing that could happen is that you can get trauma to your eardrum. And that doesn't happen as long as you talk about it with your clinicians if you have sure. any problems with your ear pressures. Some of the other symptoms could be, um, they're uncommon, but they can happen. In the deeper pressures, you can have a change to your vision. The vision might get worse uh, for a short period of time because the lens changes convexity, but that goes back to normal. We, we also run into once in a while, just as a one hit away yeah. observer, because as you know so well, Lyme's disease can mimic a lot of concussion symptoms. Mm -hmm. And when you put a person in uh, in, a, in a chamber that has Lyme's disease, a tremendous amount of die-off could take place. And, and then there's a, a little bit of suffering going on at the time. And that's yeah. one way to test that scenario. We ran across this as a side note. It was amazing yeah, it's a different how, type of side how effect, it yeah. flushes <laughs> things out yeah. Yeah. on its own. Yeah, that's it's killing bugs, right? Yeah. But the challenge with Lyme is that you need to go to deeper pressure. Absolutely. Really yeah. To get but, that... Oxygen is right. start killing yeah, the Yeah, but blood. detox is uh, definitely something to, to consider. But the biggest thing is ears, and there's other rare ones like oxygen toxicity of the brain or of the lungs, but those don't, don't happen at the, at the more superficial pressures. But that's why it's also important to, uh, to talk to a physician that knows something about hyperbaric medicine, I feel, before going to the chamber. We see out there in the medical community, just generally speaking, HBOT is completely underutilized. Mm -hmm. Um, can you give us your slant on that, kind of the short of the long, and uh, mm -hmm. on why that's the case and where we're going in the future to change that, just real briefly? That's a really good question. I think that there's lots of nuances to that answer. Yeah, I would say that most of it is related to our pharmaceutical industrial complex in the sense that it's about drugs. It's about... Uh, it's about the trials that produce those drugs. Right. It's about the drug makers that make the money. Mm -hmm. Oxygen can never be patented, right? Right. right. So there's nothing we could ever patent. That's a great point uh, to uh, to make it a billion dollar drug. Monetize oxygen, right? Yeah, uh, people have tried in various ways, and there are actually some really interesting technologies that are looking at micro oxygen bubbles and things like that, and hip replacements and things like that, which I find very interesting mm -hmm. because hyperbaric therapy does improve. Uh, because of the increased oxygen healing of hip replacements and knee replacements and, and other surgeries as well, uh, about 50 to 70% faster. So in any regard, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the idea that oxygen is not a patentable technology. I also think that um, a lot of hyperbaric's history, like I mentioned, is still a little bit marred in this snake oil kind of thing. It treats everything. Just like you said, it's the fountain of use. So yeah. I have to be very careful oh, yeah. as I describe it <laughs> To say, no, it's, it's, it can be very helpful, but it only can be helpful in these contexts. And then the other aspect of it is there's about 14 indications that are covered by insurance. Right. And there's about 50 to 100 that have good research but are not covered. So the ones that are covered by insurance, you kind of skipped along, which is fine, are called on-label. And the ones that are not are off-label. True. And they have scientific evidence off-label that they can help. Exactly. Absolutely. The on-labels are ones that are covered by Medicare and the commercial right. insurance Perfect. companies. And those are things like diabetic foot ulcers, radiation injury from cancer, sudden hearing loss, uh, uh, chronic bone infections, flaps or grafts from surgeries that are not healing. Mm -hmm. But the off-label ones, the ones that are more kind of in my world that I do, mm -hmm. traumatic brain injury, brain mm -hmm. injury is obviously yeah. number one, patients post-stroke, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is chronic pain syndrome, doing more neurologic conditions like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, doing more work on... Uh, on sports injury, sports medicine, regenerative medicine, combining it with PRP, stem cells, 
other types of regenerative technologies? You know, one of the uh, wonderful manufacturers of portable chambers that we uh, utilize for a lot of our recipients out there gave us a list of professional uh, athletes who use portable chambers outside of their own complexes with the help of a, of a physician right. to heal themselves right. from a, a broken ankle to a bruise to etc. And I was amazed. There's literally over, they gave us a list of names, which mm-hmm. I'll leave alone, but over 1,400 of these professional athletes from NFL, baseball, et cetera, who have them in their own homes because the system won't let them in to just heal faster. Right. It's, Amazing to me. It's crazy. I mean, the, I, as far as the athletics go on the, on the high levels, on yeah, the NFL, right. those guys, you know, they have a very specific trainer that does the way the trainer does. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get these other technologies. Uh, we in. get it. We tried to talk to them about it because obviously that's. Obviously, there's also a lot of issues with the NFL sure. and, and talking about concussions, of course, and, sure. and talking about hyperbaric medicine. So there have been thoughts about getting hyperbaric therapy in to help with orthopedic injuries right. and other Perfect. musculoskeletal kinds of things. To help but these athletes them. are doing it on their own. Yeah, yeah, because, I know, the, I know. because the system won't let them. And several myself, yes, yes. They do. Yeah, um, we talk about preempting actually. So you can do preemptive hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Is there some data to support if you actually put somebody in it? So if this is these are mice or rat experiments, but you give a rat a hyperbaric chamber exposure. Right. You hit them over the head, give them a brain injury. Mm. And then you look at another rat that didn't get hyperbaric therapy before, and they also get hit over the head. The rat that got hyperbaric therapy before has a significantly less injury to their brain than the one that uh, that didn't get hyperbaric therapy before. So we think that hyperbaric therapy could be used as a preemptive in somebody like an NFL player or somebody sure. that's going to get hit over the sure. head a lot, get in the chamber before you get on, you know, on Boxing, the field. Boxing, kind of wrestling, yeah. all the same. Yeah, same um, thing. Let's say a specific athlete comes to you, which obviously have come to you because mm-hmm. of our experience with you, mm-hmm. um, and you prescribe them to go through 40 sessions for mm-hmm. the healing of their sports-related concussion, sub-concussion damage um, or injuries. And they only complete because of life circumstances. Only thirty of those sessions. Do they do they regress because they don't get the next ten? Or what is? How does that work? Yeah, it's a very complicated question. I would say that the first step is that hyperbaric therapy is a cumulative process. Mm-hmm. One treatment is not going to help, most likely. Um, if you have an acute injury, we talk about getting in the chamber between three and five sessions at the minimum, mm-hmm. because that's at chamber treatment. About three is when you get. Uh, this antioxidant response that helps manifest and helps heal and detox from the injury. So if you don't get that many, you may not get that benefit. So in acute situations like acute concussions, it's typically three to five sessions. But if you've had a concussion for a long period of time, mm-hmm. or if it's been ongoing a post-concussive syndrome, then we're talking about 40 sessions typically mm-hmm. in a hard chamber. In a soft chamber, it could be 60, 100 treatments, right, depending right. on the type of chamber and the type of treatment and how much oxygen, et cetera. Sure. Those are things that you have to sort out. But um, the, the challenge is once you stop hyperbaric therapy early or you do it intermittently, you're not potentially getting the, enough exposure on the DNA to change how your body is going to regulate how it utilizes oxygen over the long term. Mm. You may not get enough oxygen stimulation on the DNA to increase the amount of blood vasculature enough. Um, but So I don't recommend doing it intermittently initially. It should be done on successive days, five to six days a week, without uh, maybe one to two days off a week for at least 40 to 80 sessions, mm-hmm. especially if you have a long-term injury. Yeah, right. You know, if you, if you miss a little bit here and there, it's fine, but you really want to miss, you don't want to miss uh, regularly. That's right. one of the things we experienced with, with Brett, as you know Brett so well. Um, we had 160 sessions 
set up. And for five months, he took school off. And one of the, the main things that we work with our recipients is in addition to HBOT and chiropractic neurology and nutrition right. and other modalities mm -hmm. and holistically put it together, is that you need a disciplined, committed approach. Right. And when this occurs, boy, great things happen. Right. So but my hat's off to you for saying that is the discipline it takes to get through those sessions is the payoff is so big. Yeah. And the one thing I want to mention is that there was another study that was just done. This um, is a hyperbaric study, traumatic brain injury study. And it looked at patients um, had significant benefit when they were finishing the treatment at 1.5 and at one point, actually at 1.5 atmospheres, okay? But six months later, those patients had deteriorated, some of them. Mm. Some of their symptoms had gotten mm. back to where they were, mm. or they had not had, their benefits had not lasted to the level that they had sure. lasted. And the question is why, why Darren, right. right? And it's because they haven't done the nutrition, they haven't right. done the foundation. Thanks for mentioning so that. So the other part of it, for me, is I have this other practice called health optimization medicine, which is a foundational pro approach to health, looking at the cellular level, looking at real-time cellular data, vitamins, minerals, cofactors, nutrients, looking at diet, looking at gut health, looking at food inflammatory responses and seeing how can you balance all of that? Because if you don't have that in working order, like, and I think that's why very likely that these, these people that had the benefit saw that wear off over time is that if you're doing the same thing every day anyway, if you're going to McDonald's every day, if you're smoking cigarettes, if you're drinking alcohol and you get better in a chamber, but you go to McDonald's, you're drinking alcohol, you're smoking cigarettes, like, or even, you know, just a, you know, even some 20% of that or sure, whatever it might sure. be an equivalent as far as you're not treating your body well, right. you are going to go back to the way you were, mm -hmm. most likely. Mm -hmm. And I and I hate to say that because I, no, you know, I don't like to waste people's time. No, you know? that's one of our motto is brain healing and then brain health. Right. So brain healing, let's get let's get the wonderful brain healed, then learn to live a brain healthy life. Exactly, and that helps tremendously. What you just said. Yeah. What What do you What do you find most challenging about treating patients with sports related concussions? Anything in particular that step that step? You could, I mean, you can't see it unless you get a, as you know so well, spec image or an fMRI. Yeah, I think the challenge is that a lot of them are kids, you know, and mm. and they're young, and it's they have a lot of responsibilities. Not responsibilities. They have a lot of uh, a lot of things they want to do, you know, and mm. and. Uh, depending on how old they are, their brains might be might not be fully developed at the time. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of other aspects of the psychosocial matrix mm. that they have to run through to really, you know, to get better and to, and the support can be challenging because you have your parents and you have your friends and your family. And, um, a lot of times when you have a concussion, like you just don't want to deal with anybody and you want to be, you know, by yourself, so you want to be alone. And, so and so, um, the isolation can be really brutal, as we know from our experience with right. some of our clients right. you know, that we've had together. And so um, I think the biggest challenge for me is just the consistency, you know, when it comes down to it. If I can get somebody there every day or five days a week, if we can, and this is what Jill is so good at, which Thanks is just, that. yeah, is just keeping people motivated to keep coming, keep doing it. You know, knowing that it's a it's a process. So that support staff is so vital. The support so is vital. so huge, and I'm I'm not that guy, honestly. I'm like I'm I'm here to help and exactly. and do the conducting right. and help. But it's really people like Jill and like you, Darren, like one hit away, and and others that I work with that are really uh, they're the the vital piece of this. 
the chamber only works as well as those that support it. That's <laughs> so, good point. And and then and, and the foundation that you have when you go in there. Right. Not only from a cellular health foundation, but from a, a psychosocial health foundation. Right. And yeah, it, it's it, it all kind of goes together. Things we take for granted until we get to this tragedy. Always. Because that's the one thing we always say is that, you know, this never really means much to folks until it happens in their own household. They yeah. realize how it's kind of like a rock in a pond and ripple effect is powerful unless you get that thing under control again. Yeah, I use the ripple analogy all the time. So true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Quick note. What what's your note? What's your thoughts on I you know, I grew up in the athletic world over the years and I have pals who never really got a concussion, but they're suffering concussion symptoms and they're fifty nine and sixty five and I always kind of share with them and convince them that you ever heard of a subconcussion? There's that does tremendous in our evidence and tremendous oh, amount yeah. of damage. Did you have, you share the same thoughts? hundred percent. I mean, I think we there's a lot more press related to the major concussions, but it's the subconcussions that are doing it for most people. Um, and it's a threshold kind of deal is what I've seen is that mm-hmm. people will do okay with a certain amount, then they get a big one, like a big concussion on top of it, or they get an injury. Uh, they're in the hospital. They get an infection. They their immune system just goes down in the tank, and all of a sudden, um, their brain no longer can function as well as it could before because it was just barely making it. So uh, I see that a lot. I see that subconcussions are probably they're like uh, what's a good analogy here to describe them? They're like the underlying current of a lot of brain disease that we see. Um, the things that are called Alzheimer's, mild cognitive impairment, even Parkinsonian types of things. There are a lot of them are related to something. I always try to tell my pals, I say, think of this ocean surface as kind of calm, but you really don't know what's going on underneath that surface. Mm-hmm. That's all the damage and swirling around that has occurred. And I kind of get, oh, okay. I kind of kind of think about it. But thanks for sharing your thoughts. On I that. like ocean analogies when I'm talking about hyperbaric medicine. So That's, <laughs> that's cool. very cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, so I'm going to kind of end up here as we wrap up a little bit here. This has been fascinating. What is your belief of untreated sports-related brain injuries? Have you seen evidence of them causing neurological disorders that just change people's lives if they don't get them treated? Yeah, absolutely, Darren. I mean, I think we're seeing that in the lay press with domestic violence in NFL players to people in their own homes. And I think you and I have seen this with kids um, having mood and personality changes and not able to go back to school, even though that they can still think. I've even like cognitively fine, but now they're depressed all the time or anxiety or whatever. And so I, I, it's a huge undercurrent, like I said, that we're just not really aware of. But I talked to somebody just today, anxiety, depression, since 2002, history of concussions, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, has a job, is working, but is only barely making it. And so I think there's a lot of good that we can do. Uh, I think there's a lot of good that needs to be done. That's absolutely. All right, so we're going to end this up. I just got finished with a tremendous amount of sessions with you. I feel as though, and I see as though, and you've showed me my brain is healed. Now I need to learn how to live a brain-healthy life. Mm. Of the things you mention and, and really accentuate with me as a patient with your expertise, what are the three to five things you just want to make sure I consistently do for my health, like exercise, diet, mm. HBOT. What do I do to sure. make sure to maintain my healthy brain? What are the This is like an entire podcast and just no, that one you're, question. You're, you're no, I'm going to be quick. So I, I do have I do have an answer for this. So cool. um, one of the things I talk about and I've 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 lectured about and it came uh, after a really good question by a friend of mine. He asked me, "What are the three or four things that everybody can do, no matter what their resources are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much or where they live or what they do? What can anybody do to be healthier?" 
right? So the first one I talk about is connection. So connecting with people in person, real time, turning off our phones, whether that's in religious communities or non or our secular communities, non-religious, whatever it is, you know, connect, be with people in the same space. Uh, we are, most of us, uh, are need that connection to really feel healthy. Um, that's number one. Number two is movement. So we all got to move, um, even if it's just a little bit every day. So, you know, sitting is the new smoking, as they say. So all of us should be moving. All of us should be at least walking around the freaking block, um, <laughs> if not more than that. And so, but that's a good start. Uh, the third one that's sort of related to moving is breathing. So breathing is very important, focusing on your breath, focusing on awareness, meditation, mindfulness, um, focusing on your own space, your own person, um, your own perceptions of the world, and understanding that everything that runs around you runs through you. So mm -hmm. you get to perceive how you choose to, just like I tell my that's kids every morning. Like and then the last one is fasting. So that's a fun one because people get all crazy and scared about fasting. But fasting is free, Darren. It doesn't cost any money to not eat. Um, and <laughs> fasting so is Good one. very important to our health in the sense of taking time to not eat. Uh -huh. And so spending, we call intermittent fasting, uh, longer fasts if you're healthy enough to do it. But spending time away from food every day is a good idea. Mm -hmm. So not grazing all day. Depending on, I mean, there's lots of ideas of what you can do as far as what your diet should be. Sure. That, you know, that's for another time. But I would say that my sense is that no matter what your diet is, if you do some inter intermittent fasting, 12, 14, 16 hour fasts a couple times a week, one time a week even, it's uh, you're going a long way to help your mitochondria, your energy production, and your cellular health. Well, I'm going to leave that to you because I'm going to share with the audience how everyone can get a hold of you because this is great and I know it doesn't end there. So I'd encourage everyone who's listening to, if you can remember this, hyper, hyper, hyperbaricmedicalsolutions.com or just Google Dr. Scott Share, and you'll find out everything you need to know and get a hold of him and talk more in length about these wonderful things that mm -hmm. you were so kind to share with us today. Yeah, and I, have, and I have a virtual practice, Darren. So I work with patients, clients across the world helping them understand how hyperbaric therapy may help them. Wow, and then I can help coordinate with their local providers for hyperbaric medicine. Um, or if they need chambers, we can get chambers for them if, they're not, if they don't have access and they're appropriate for potentially you know, a mild chamber in their home. Well, I encourage everyone to, to uh, look up Dr. Scott Shearer because he has been a phenomenal uh, person for us for advice and also for a lot of our recipients of One Hit Away. So thank you. It is my pleasure to be here and be with you, Darren well, wonderful. And, and Joe. Um, you know, being the only nonprofit in the country dedicated to brain healing, uh, we have a lot of work to do. And it's professionals like you that just take us to that confidence level of helping everyone we can. Uh, we thank you for your time, your expertise. This was truly an informative and fascinating discussion. We look forward to more in the near future. Uh, before I end, I do want to share with our listeners two items. Uh, one Hit Away. Our website is onehitaway.org. And our motto that we never, ever stop the day with is it's always the beginning and end of our day is One Hit Away at One Hit Away Foundation. One Hit Away understands your brain can change your game. Thanks very much. Thank you, Darren. Thank you.